Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Lauren Weber. Wait a minute. I'm looking at your name and it says Lauren Carlisle because you're married now. It's true, but my legal name is still Lauren Weber. Okay, Uh, cool. So anything's fine. My work name is Lauren Carlisle. I'm under Carlisle on LinkedIn. I'm under Love Monster on Facebook because that was a brand for a while. You know, names are just word containers, thought containers, (laughs) idea containers, pointers. This is the philosopher and old friend of mine coming through. Lauren and I have known each other for not quite 10 years, I don't think. And Oh, more than 10. Has it been more than 10? I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I met you. So how did we meet? About 10. About 10. Because I moved to New York. I had my 26th birthday in New York City. And I think we started speaking and knowing one another a couple of years prior, actually, to me even moving to the city, maybe one, one to two years prior to me moving to the city. And then I am 36 now. So, so we, are, 10 years. we are over a decade. Yeah. And you are, I think, getting your graduate degree in, got it already? Not getting it. I dropped out of graduate school. Oh, you're, <laughs> when, when did you drop out? Because you were getting, what were you getting your degree in? Oh, such good question. I think um, you're a psychology philosopher. Yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, cause I, I got my first bachelor's in philosophy and then did a whole bunch of stuff. And that was when I first met you. And then I went back to school for psychology and it was going to be a PhD in psychology. And there was this whole thing where what I really wanted was to be a clinician or a practitioner or somebody who works with folks on trauma and healing on their emotions. I specifically wanted to work with gifted individuals or um, talented individuals. And then I shifted focus from trying to get into a PhD program. I, I was a nearly accepted to one and actually turned one down because I didn't think the mentor and I would have a healthy relationship for six years. Sustainability, unsustainable mm-hmm. for me. Like, and I thought it was very, it'd be very ironic to get a PhD in counseling psychology while making myself miserable and destroying my own mental health. So I didn't do that. And then I started doing work in research to continue to beef up my resume for research programs, but then started an MSW because it was faster and then quit the MSW because I was making more money doing what I was doing at the time than I would be able to make after. And I invested a couple grand in a data science course from General Assembly and then kind of married the research skill set, the social sciences research skill set with the data processing skill set and coding and automating. And I have managed to find a niche career in education technology. Um, and so right now I work for a producer of digital curriculums that are sort of supposed to function like public health interventions. We have a sustainability course, but we have many other courses. We started in financial literacy and we do like social, um, socio-emotional well-being and a bunch of other intervention courses. And I work on the, t- the research team, which is mostly supposed to measure and report impacts, but I think we're going to be standing up hopefully a learning analytics platform, which will turn into a sort of UX research kind of role for me if I can play all my cards right. So hearing the way you speak and the way that when we speak on the phone, you still sound like a psychology person. Like when I talk to you about where things are in my life, you come back with ways of assessing me that that I find insightful. And I'm always like, oh, this sounds like how a counselor would talk or a psychologist would talk, but she's just a friend. I don't mean just a friend and, you know, I'm not paying you. And- So you're pretty, am I right that you're pretty skilled in that area, even if you stop doing it? I've spent a lot 
of time on the topic. Like I, I got a second bachelor's in psychology plus read a crap ton of neuroscience. I, I, there's a lot of topics I've pursued knowledge on that are adjacent to psychology as well, because I was really interested in questions of free will and consciousness, which led to studying neuroscience, neurophysiology. So I talked to people about meds a lot of the time. I had a life, I still actually have, I shouldn't say have, I have a life, life coaching business, but I really only work with one client. She's a linguist at NIST and a researcher. Yeah, I spent a lot. So, and then did part of the master's degree, which was in behavioral intervention. So it was a social work master's designed for counseling. So I, I spent, I did the majority of the training. I, well, not the majority, about half of the training a therapist <laughs> gets, but have uh, also osmosed a lot of other information just uh also hung on to like I feel like I remember more from my bachelor's in psychology than most people remember from any of their degrees <laughs> oh now you got me because I was just reading today something on um on reddit about physics someone was like asking some question and, and I like wrote down mv squared over r equals mg and I solve for r and <laughs> so I was using that was the undergrad that wasn't phd physics in any case can we share how we met I mean yeah, we met through a mutual friend, and this was in, when I was. He was a, a dating coach, an attraction coach, advanced relative to me. He was really good. I mean, he was really good, and he kind of brought me under his wing a bit, and he was helping tutor me, uh, coach me a little bit, but also befriending. And I met you through him. Yes. Then, as I recall, it was just a casual meeting. You weren't living in the city, and then somehow I saw your picture on Facebook when I was using it connected with you. Is that, do I remember right? Yeah, that's right. You, then, you sent me a message after I posted a fairly nice headshot as a profile picture. <laughs> I, I think it was like a really sexy picture. Do I remember right? <laughs> All pictures of me are sexy. Though. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Cause then you came up and visited and how would we characterize it? We dated? Yeah. I mean, the, the messages that were exchanged on Facebook were clear of intent. And I think I arrived at your home in the morning and like we began a relationship, I think is an accurate description. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was also, I just want to stop for a moment and observe like my poor parents, you know, who had a, a daughter who, who would run off to New York and like go walk into the apartment of a person she'd like only met once in real life. It just, yeah. Oh, well, I was an adult. Well, you knew well enough because it's been, I, I, for 10 years later, we we're good friends. That's right. Yeah, it worked out okay. <laughs> uh, but things got intimate really quick. And now I'm kind of curious because people know, people who have long-time listeners of this podcast know from the, I had the sex, drugs, and rock and roll series that, of where I shared that, what I'd never shared before of that I, I was really nice guy in the sense of uh, no more that that book, Robert Glover's no more Mr. Nice guy and didn't have intimacy with women and, and like had to work on it. And, and some people look at that as like pickup artists and they think misogynist. And so it's kind of interesting to me to, for a woman's view, someone who's intimate with me, what I was like, as I evolved, I'm not sure how interesting that would be to listeners. Maybe it'd be very interesting. Maybe I'm fooling myself into thinking they really care about that. But then you've also seen me evolve in terms of sustainability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, it's so interesting talking to you after many years have passed since we, you know, spent a lot of time together. Like we've had, you know, like, I don't think we've ever not been speaking or on speaking terms, but, you know, I think we've, we've had a kind of chunk of years in the middle without a lot of interaction. And 
you know, one thing that by the time I met you, you were already able to do was teach yourself things, right? Like you had gone through enough of like dating coaching to understand that like you could learn a social skill and you were just starting to branch out into like trying storytelling publicly and like figuring out how to, how to navigate like things like public speaking. Um, you know, you, you were always, I think, very apparently strategic about the, the skills that you were acquiring and kind of where you were headed back then you've, you've always, I think, maintained a property of, of not appearing to be a great listener and yet having a really strong memory and a fairly, an ability to draw fairly accurate models of people you spend time with, despite, again, not appearing to be the best listener. I'm sure on this podcast, you probably appear to be a great listener. And I think that that's come a lot from, you asked how the leadership and other efforts have, have changed you over the years. And I think that the mindfulness backed approach that you brought into your leadership model really changed your listening style and your relating style. I think you, you were able to soften what it is like to interact with you as a person, I think over the last decade, I, I think, but, but I think I always personally, like was sort of, it sort of enjoyed your, your rougher edges, because I think they're just an artifact of, of your mind and the, the things that like, I think we have sort of similar minds that are, you know, kind of rapid and and like to go multiple places and can kind of condense and synthesize a lot of information. And so I, I think, I wonder if the people who listen to this podcast or people who know you in certain contexts, like experience the same like there were factors about your personality. Do you watch Big Net, Big Mouth? I don't know Big Mouth. What? I don't know what that is. It's is a cartoon. That a song? <laughs> no, but I'll just be really, really blunt here. Um, and, and I don't know if you've ever been evaluated, but like there's there's an aspect of your personality, Josh, that that reads very much like you're perhaps on the spectrum, like a, like a very classical, almost Asperger's like quality, but you have put a lot of effort into making that not a barrier for your relationships with other people. And I think, I don't know if you actually would be on the spectrum because some of it I think was just a little bit the path you took and the really intense STEM education that you were in. I think your strengths growing up didn't necessarily, like you weren't in drama and acting, for instance, as a kid. Yeah. Am I right about that? Yeah. Right. When <laughs> yeah. I did it in business school, I was like, this is amazing. Why didn't I do this before? Right. Right. So, so it was just a little bit of bias, I think, and, and re- reiterated double down on bias in, in the skills and areas that you developed in most quickly. Like you had a PhD in, you know, astrophysics when I met you and had started some media and had, you know, all like you'd already done kind of crazy, incredible things. Um, and relationship skills, I think, when we first met were present, but less like I think I was perceptive and giving to was to a you that was less developed in terms of relationship skills. I think what you acquired through both coaching and leadership was a capacity to more thoughtfully craft the experiences that other people have of you. What that? What do you mean by that? I, to to craft the experience that others have of me. You mean to present myself to to present a different identity to I to um. 
Yeah, I, I think, but you've also moved toward the authentic, which is which is its own thing, right? Like that sounds scary and strategic when you say it. And I think that's probably what eeps people out about game is, is they think it's like a strategic editing or a strategic, like it's like, a, it is like acting. Whereas I think that you were able to move away from a model of relating that was like, tick these boxes or try these things. And I think through the leadership stuff started to embrace like, what it would mean in relating for you to bring forth your own feelings and your own experiences more presently instead of, I don't know what, what you would, let's just say when we were hanging out, you didn't really talk about your feelings. And I watched you learn how to talk about your feelings over the last decade. (laughs) Yeah. The way I've described myself is, is like, I grew up very geeky, very nerdy. Yeah. Now I've learned that I cannot be that way if I, if I want. Although I right. think you would say it's still there. Like it always comes through. Like it's never going to be hide, hidden. And I've always, I've, yeah, I've never been, I forget what the word was profiled if, or to whether I'm on the Evaluated. spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And I, everything, whenever I meet someone who is, I'm always like, that sounds like me. <laughs> now I'm not Good. knowledgeable on these things. I haven't studied these things. I don't really know much about it, but I remember when I was in college, it's talking to this friend of mine and she, she said, you never look people, you, she said, you never look me in the eye, but whenever I ask you a question, you've been listening. You look like you're not paying attention, but you always are. Right. And it took me years to be able to look, to look people in the eye when I talk to them. I mean, now I was about to say, now I'm comfortable with it. It still takes a little effort. And it sometimes makes me feel like too intimate with someone if mm-hmm. I'm looking them in the eye while I'm speaking. I mean, now it's easy because we're on video. Sure. I guess I can't tell if you know. Well, anyway. But in person, it's hard now, but actually sometimes it's really, actually now when someone else isn't with me, then I feel like something's up with them, that they're uncomfortable and <laughs> I do like making eye contact. But yeah, the, it was really hard for me to find things inside me to share without feeling like uncomfortable, but also maybe someone's going to be able to take advantage of me or maybe... Yeah it's too, there's some feeling that's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's, it's the, the, it's vulnerability, but in the evolutionary sense, right? Like it's the risk of vulnerability, I guess. Like that's, that's what most people call that. I think the, yeah. the feeling of risk associated with presenting your authentic self. And I had to learn it. And sometimes I say that because I'd learned it as an adult, I know, like, I don't know the rules of English. I just speak fluently. I know more of the rules of French because I've taught that. So I can tell you what the rules are because someone told me. So with social skills, I didn't have them. I mean, when, when we first met, I mean, you said I was rough around the edges or maybe st- and still am. Was I really crude or? or no, um, no, but it was almost as if like you had to, I could tell that you would think about sort of like what to say. And you, in, I think, actually had ways of creating connection, but it would be a little more roundabout than sort of the direct, like, this is a feeling I have, and I'm going to share it with you. Like you, you had indirect modes of expression because I, I can, rec- I can look back and, and remember you like telling me stories that were meant to convey something about how it was you felt or, you know, doing things like your actions were fairly aligned with your intentions. I wouldn't say that like you, you didn't lack emotions and you didn't lack the ability to communicate, but getting you to 
be present, authentic, and vulnerable felt elusive. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there were, there were a lot of factors back then too, but yeah, I think, I think I was more guessing, you know, about where you were in your mind back then. I think you, with me in particular, I felt like you found comfort doing that. I think you trusted me enough to do that. Um, But I noticed you brought that into your public persona over time, which actually takes a lot of courage. And I think that's one of the reasons that I've made sure to kind of keep up with you and follow what you're doing. Because I think once you can do that, once you can bring the core of who you are into the things that you do in public, I think, you know, that's, that's a little bit of what you said is a leadership modality. And I think that's true. I think that courage sort of speaks for itself among people. And, and I think you've demonstrated a lot of, um, yeah, I mean, courage with the vulnerability stuff and also just like by taking risks and doing things like you published several books, there's a risk there, right? That nobody will buy them or no one will care or people will criticize me. And so I think, you know, fundamentally, I respect courage, much like you learned back in the day that that female body people respond to confidence. And so like there's a, you know, there's a string of training in, in game that's about it's almost like a fake it till you make it strategy. Yeah. First you have to act yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. And then you find it and then, you know, then you, and you build it. Yeah. I I always thought it was so interesting to watch game evolve from like, act like you have confidence, like maybe just go get some hobbies and invest in yourself. (laughs) I'm intrigued by this partly because you're talking about me. Yeah. I'm hoping that listeners, if, if, if we haven't lost them are, I mean, I I hope that people, I think there's a lot of people who think, what can I do? How can I lead? Can I, like, that's not me. And I'm hoping that this is something that people hear and think, well, I didn't realize if, if they, if there's something about me, that's a leadership quality that influences people. I hope they're hearing that it wasn't there at the beginning. Yes. The Josh that I met a decade ago, like you, I'm sure you could clean up. You could give a public speech if you needed to, right? Like you could do those things, but you weren't going to be comfortable in your own skin while also displaying your feelings on a topic. Like that was, I think, hard earned for you much later. Whereas like for me, I kind of started on the opposite end of the spectrum. I was always very comfortable sharing my feelings. Like I was an oversharer. I had poor boundaries. And it's really only in the last couple of years that I've become somebody who can actually harness my ability to be vulnerable as a powerful choice instead of it being like a strategy the back of my brain is using that is actually leading to poor outcomes. (laughs) So, so you had, did you have the option of, so if you meet some guy like me who was possibly on the spectrum, was it an effort for you to communicate with someone like that? Or is that natural for you? I used to get a lot of my own kicks out of being someone who was good at understanding someone else. And I think the fact that you were so intelligent gave me both an actual like set of stimulation that I couldn't find in a lot of other places. You were able to entertain me intellectually. And that in itself was like a a draw, but I think I found a lot of identity and meaning in being someone who could take a person like you who seemed less comfortable in their emotions and bring you to a place of being comfortable with them. 
but there were also a lot of like unhealthy ideas tied in with that. Like if you think about how we sort of like raise girls and women to, to basically think that they need to be like emotion coaches for men, like that ultimately isn't the relationship dynamic I chose, but it was part of, of our relationship and it was part of who I was at, at that time. So it's like a little project for you, <laughs> an attractive, yeah. entertaining, yeah. challenging project. Correct. <laughs> Very engaging project. Like all of my projects. I Did mean. it work out well? We're here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to share why. So we, we didn't, as you said, we didn't not talk, but we weren't, I don't know, maybe a couple of years went by without hearing from each other. Yeah. And I called you a little while ago because I was thinking about, I think this is what restarted things most recently leading up to this call is that I was thinking about the women in my life that I've had deep loving relationships with and various ones have, see, I don't think there's good or bad. I just think there's match or don't match. And there's various ones that matched or didn't match with me in, in various ways. And there's things that are attractive to me and intelligence and, and aspiration and, and initiative and physical attraction and passions. And I, I think I called you up to say you were the best match of anyone of like the full package, except this one thing that I can't really get past, which we both know what that is. <laughs> that and you're, and you're unwilling to own on your own. I've, I've said it on the podcast. I mean, anyone, <laughs> okay, who, anyone who, uh, looks at the last names of the, the women I've dated of like Kim Liang Park. It's, uh, there's a certain pattern there. And for, I don't know why I can't, I, I, I don't know why I'm attracted to what I'm attracted to and not attracted to what I'm not attracted to. You would have thought that like, it would have come out in the wash kind of, but no. <laughs> what would have come out in the wash? Like, like that the, the rest of the match would have, would have made it somehow fulfilling without that one piece. But I, at least the impression I had of our relationship and the reason that I chose to eventually date one of your friends, which is really what stopped the dating part of our relationship mm-hmm. was because it, it felt to me like that barrier was never coming down, that I wasn't going to be enough without being Not Asian. enough. Now we did have our share of intimacy. I think we grew together pretty well discovered things about us, each other and ourselves through each other. You were very well at, like, I was surprised, you know, there was that moment, you know, when I dated your friend and you remained my friend. And I think even, even, I can't remember, I don't think we remained quasi romantic. I think you guys had some reasonable boundaries with one another, but yeah, we, we, despite even that rift, or I, I don't know if I even want to call it a rift, but a choice that I made, mm-hmm. like we, we remained friends and I remained a person that you would talk to, I think in a manner that was designed to help grow you. Yeah. I think, I think that's actually kind of how I tend to choose and prioritize my relationships these days are like growth fueling relationships. And so, yeah, I do think that our relationship was an example of that. And, you know, regardless what I think of about it is that we've shared a love of intimacy beyond what many others have. And so that vulnerability is we're open with each other and we can talk about things that to reach that level with, starting new with someone else. Like, I don't know how often you meet someone where you can be so open and so honest. And so I, I like to listen to your stuff of that. It's, I, I think you share with me things that I don't hear from a lot of other people, which I take that maybe it's partly because you're different than anybody else, but also partly because of, of what we've shared. I don't want to like, like, 
that, that oh, would you be share with fair. me what you share with everyone. <laughs> I was gonna say that would that would be a fair attribution attribution model for most people, but I actually am just sort of disproportionately open. I share a lot of myself with a lot of people. And so, you know, I'm trying to think like I don't want to say that like our history has no impact on what you do and don't hear from me. Of course it does. But actually, like as much as I'm a to you, somebody who's maybe like uniquely safe uh, of a place to explore thoughts and feelings you're not actually like a particularly safe place for me. Like my experience, my relationship with you, like my ego was tied up in it. I had hurt feelings, you know? So like, I don't actually disclose more of myself to you than I might to many other people in my life. In part also because like, we don't talk that often. And I often also just like let you talk because you are one of the few people who entertains me intellectually. <laughs> so it, I don't want to say you're not like uniquely special to me. You are, but it, but is the degree of disclosure I give you indicative of that? Not really, but the fact that you're interested in insightful or psychological things I have to say, or deeper parts of myself though, that is also like its own special thing as well. Cause not everybody wants to hear me share those parts of myself or use them to talk about other thoughts and concepts. Am I oversimplifying? Things? All right. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, here's going to be an oversimplification, but tell me how off it, how off it is. Okay. Um, especially because on, it says they, them next to your name. Yes. And I, I don't, I, I am catching up on that yes. as, as my identity view, but a lot of women are attracted to intelligence in men. Uh-huh. A lot of men are attracted to intelligence in women. So I think that, what you like, so you like the, the intelligence in me, you like the, the Ivy league and the PhD and the physics and all that stuff. Yes, but not, just okay. Not the um, accreditations. There's something about the way I think and the way I talk that is everyone I know identifies me as really intelligent, which I, I I don't argue against. That's hard to miss, but that's the same for me, honestly. Like, and I, I have much less pedigree. I married somebody who has an Ivy League degree, but I don't, you know, I dropped out of grad school. Like I'm, I'm more of a renegade and more of a creative. Right. But, um, but like, I would say the same, like anyone who talks to me is like, Oh, you're very smart. You know? And then I think that's true of you as well. (laughs) It's just, it's just kind of hard to miss. And I don't, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I just seem normal. I, to me, I think what people identify as intelligence to me in myself, I see it as all these pauses in how I talk. <laughs> I think people That's see, like, oh, his mind is really working really fast or something, or that like, I figure like, and right. physics is just interesting to me. So I think that way. So I understand how the world works in a, in a deeper Einsteinian, Newtonian way. <laughs> but anyone who studied it as much, yeah, what I learned is just, it's a matter of putting the work in. I think that there are people in the world who are smarter than both of us. Like there's a good chunk of those people out there. And then there's a good chunk of people in the world who are more articulate and more interesting than the both of us. But I think that one thing that perhaps we share and one thing that's, I think a good, a good feather in your cap and a credit to your success is being somebody who, you know, is a hardcore nerd who's put in a lot of time understanding people, systems, things, thoughts, just, or just exercising your mind, but also, you know, like we were talking about has kind of flexed the muscle on communication and, and flex the muscle on being checked in with your body. 
because I think what happens to like theory of the case with a lot of the smartest people in the world is that they'll, they'll just lopsidedly never learn those social skills. And then they'll just wind up in the ivory tower of academia and they actually have less influence for never having developed social skills the, or presentation skills or whatever it is, you know, adapting to a more public environment. Um, yeah. You're saying flex skills or flex muscles. Yeah. And to me, I think of a lot of hard work and training and de- yeah. like deliberate focused. To me, it's like, if I listen to John Coltrane, I know that he practiced, I think he practiced more than anyone. Yeah. And even when he was hooked and, and really in a bad way, he was still playing the sax and it, it brought him back home. And, but that's a different part of it. It's just, he could express himself in ways that others couldn't. And I don't know if he was born playing sax. I mean, from Louis Armstrong, as I understand, like played as a little kid and just, just played. And I, what I'd lead with now is all new stuff. And it kills me when I see people convincing, cajoling, coercing, relying on authority, which is partly, I think partly because it's ineffective, but also partly because it's a part of me that was so counterproductive and I could, I would generally look at other people as, how would I describe it? Definitely objects, but something I would, you know, I had the story of, of when, when we played ultimate and I would try to get the guys to get in the vans, like every day at the end of the, at the end of a tournament, there'd be our vans that we drove to get to the tournament by the side of the field. And everyone, we, everyone's tired, we're a wreck. We want to shower and we want to eat. We want to shower, eat, go to sleep. And everyone would sit next to the vans and start taking off their cleats and changing out of their uniforms into what they would wear to go back to the hotel room where we, you know, we'd all pile in and, and I would always say, everyone, let's get in the vans, like change in the vans instead of here. That way we can go to the restaurant. We can sleep early. We can shower earlier. It's all better. And they never got in the vans. And I would say, finally, like after a long time, I said to KJ, I don't remember. So I said, like, why will you get in the van? And he goes, Josh, I hear what you're saying. I agree with you. It makes a lot of sense, but something of the way you say it makes me not want to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, could not be farther from what leadership is like getting people to, you know, I, as Eisenhower said, get the other guy to do your thing for his reason. And loosely speaking. Yeah. Uh, That's a loose quote rather. And this is the opposite, right? This is, getting him not to do what he actually wants to do because of my own interaction with him. Cause I would look at people as like tools or like I, not as people, not as subjects, not as their own. The idea of meeting them and understanding them wasn't interesting to me. Now, yeah. I think this is what's changed about you fundamentally. I didn't realize I said something funny, but now I see why it would be funny. <laughs> I mean, it is funny. Like I, I think I even wonder now, like how much meeting people, like actually matters to you, like, like it, now is it interesting because it's instrumental or is it interesting in its own right? I guess is the question. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely mission driven. So if there's two people and one is really interesting to me, but the other one could advance sustainability, I'll probably go with the advanced sustainability person. Yeah. And then Not I'll find them interesting. <laughs> I'll find ways to find them interesting too. Yeah. I don't know if this is interesting. Do you think people are bored of this or are they interested in like, no, now we're getting to know Josh. I, I don't think people are bored when I talk. <laughs> no, I, I, that sounds terrible. I sound like I love myself like really hardcore. Uh, well, but that's good. That's actually a thing that I would try to preach and teach to people is to like be really positive on themselves. But um, no, I, I think, I don't think people are bored when you talk either. 
to me. I haven't listened to your podcast. So I don't know if they're bored when you talk otherwise, but no, I think that people find certain cadences and other people being engaged in what they're saying and what they're thinking. Interesting. Like, okay. all right. I got two, I want to go in two directions now yeah. uh, for, in a second. I want to do the Spodic method with you. So that's yeah. you've, I have I done it with you before. We've talked about what it is. Okay. And have you listened to other episodes? I don't know how much you've listened to I think I have listened to like parts of other episodes. Like I, I know I've listened to like bits and pieces because I do follow you, but I haven't listened to like a lot of it and much not like not recently either. So I don't have a good like mental model. I do know what you're going to do because we just spoke about what the method is. Okay. Table that for one last thing is uh, we talked about my development in leadership and, and genuinely authentically connecting with emotions and feelings. Yeah although still probably less authentic and it's still genuine authentic, but less of a, still, I don't know, rough around the edges in some ways, but you've also seen my development in sustainability. Yeah. And I think probably people on this podcast, that's the primary identity of me. Mm. And I would guess that when you met me, I was flying around. I don't think that it was, some, was it something that was a part of my identity at the time? I mean, you were doing a lot, actually, that was sustainability based. You were already going like you'd already done the trash thing with the packaging. Like you were already buying all of your fresh vegetables and making food differently than you mm-hmm. used to and integrating that into like both a healthy lifestyle for you, but also for the planet. So like you were already, I think, fairly keyed into knowing like like that was already an expressed value in your life that that you wanted to be kind to the environment because i think of the i think you might have been thinking of me being vegetarian at the time but not yeah. yet the packaging i don't because i think that huh. came maybe i was sensitive to it but didn't actually say let's go like i don't think i'd done the the no packaging for a week i think it happened packaging it happened over the course of time that i've known you so it may not have been the case when we first were seeing each other and then was okay. later but i definitely did a shopping trip with you where you were like here's all this stuff not in packaging like okay yeah. and have you noticed anything about the changes there especially that might be interesting to the listeners i think i've just watched them become a woven part of the tapestry that you talk about when you talk about like building sustainable habits. Like I I think that they've just kind of become examples for you in, in talking points, because I think that there were several things, not just that, but like many, many things that you like kind of found as like interesting endeavors and interesting stories and of their own, right? Like I think you were interested in your own story of learning to speak in public. I think you were interested in your story of learning to not use packaging and make waste. Like I think, you know, and you've, you've learned how to alchemize those experiences into examples in books and, and little parts of talks and, and they're integrated into this leadership model that you have. But I think that's great because that's, that's how people learn from one another, right? Is by following you on a story. And this is kind of a thing that I observed a while back too. Like I've had a little bit of the same experience in life. It's like, I'm very smart. Why don't people listen to me? And, and that's because a lot of people don't have the patience to listen to a smart person yammer at them and in, in, on their own terms. Right. And that's, totally fine. Like, I don't want to listen to, well, I would probably listen to a neurosurgeon, but like, I don't want to listen to a foot surgeon talk in detail about foot surgery either. But if he has some advice for me, like don't wear flip-flops while running, then I do kind of want to know that. So, you know, I've, I've faced this fact of like, oh, people learn through stories. And so if you want to, if you want people to learn, you have to sort of package it in not one package, not a one word package and not, not in the, I remember you giving me like strunk and white or some, some kind of, maybe that wasn't it, but like a very like 
brevity focused writing guide at one point where you, you, you at least strongly expressed this like virtue of brevity and communication, which is sort of the opposite of the storytelling idea, right? Like it's like, but it's, it's great for like good writing or poetry. Like you want to write a great poem, be brief. If you want to make something that's half propaganda and half entertainment, make it a story. So, yeah. But so I think that your personal experiences you have learned that that is something that you can share and also translate to other people. It's, it's a more effective way of getting other people to think in your shoes rather than telling them to get in the van. <laughs> <laughs> what, you, what you were just saying here, as with all of our conversations, but sometimes it's like, I'm like, does everyone find you as engaging as I do, as, as, as intelligent and, and funny and insightful because maybe there's something about your psychology interests and, and education interests that, yeah, to me that what you were just saying was just very engaging. I don't know if others feel that way too. Psychology topics themselves have a way of being engaging. I think people by and large find it sort of fascinating in the same way that people kind of find the, the game and the history behind that sort of fascinating because knowing how people think and work has a little bit of that value in it of like, so I was thinking before this call about the the capitalist environment in which we live and how capitalism is based on competition and how the point of competition is often, or like, if you think about strategy, winning a chess game, something that is a strategic move is to figure out how to get, get a one up, get a leg up on someone else or something else, right. To cut off an advantage or carve out an advantage for yourself. And I think people like hearing about psychology because that insight into people and how they work feels like it gives you a leg up. I don't think it actually, well, it can. If it feels you're, that way. Yeah, yeah it, it can do it, but I don't feel that way. Like I, like I am still having to learn how to be strategic and how to be like a leader or how to, how to wield influence despite understanding how people work because I had other thoughts, feelings, and models of the world. Like you talked about seeing people as objects, right? And so I had this moral objection to thinking strategically about people. So even when I went through my psych degree, I was only thinking about how I could use it to help them and not how I could use it to say, motivate them or lead them. But I have thought about that more in the last several years because it's important. Like if you have, you know, like uh, there's, there's just a lot of, of, forces in the world some of them are are not even consciously led and some of them are downright evil right and so i've become kind of a fan of oh yeah people do have to like cultivate ways to exercise power if they have some kind of real value to bring or real good intention to bring into the world so uh, i'm really really off topic here but but which was the topic being just that everybody likes psychology because it feels like they're learning secrets and then the other half of the question is, I think I get engaged when I'm talking to somebody who is engaged by me. Like if you want to hear more about the psychology topics, then I will riff on them and be excited and, and, you know, all of those things. So it's like, no, I don't talk to everyone like this because not everybody gives a oh, okay. flying F about <laughs> what I think about their thoughts or their progression or, you know, whatnot. Now we'll have to leave this now. Yeah. And we're going to go to the, is it the environment something you've acted on yourself? 
I more like begrudgingly follow the lead of the person that I married. He just retired from ENRD at DOJ and that's the environment and natural resources division. So, and I think even he is not really like personally, like, yes, we care, we care about the environment. He worked a lot with the EPA. We care about the environment. We care about sustainability, but like neither of us are nearly as committed, I think, like as you are to you know, that sort of footprint reduction techniques. I mean, we both, you know, we do kind of the stuff like we recycle, we, you know, he doesn't drive a car, you know, but I have a car because I always have had a car and a lot of the things I need to do are far away, but we do try, you know, to use either public transportation or bike. So we, we, you know, we're progressive. We do a certain amount of you know, caring and, and sacrificing and virtue signaling, you know, whatever we, we do some of the stuff, but we, of course, like you could always do more. Okay. So you've acted and yeah. it's not the biggest part of your identity, but it's not zero either. Yeah. When you think about the environment, what do you think about when, when you, when you feel motivated to act and I don't mean what goals in the future are you trying to achieve, but what, what do you, th- what motivates the action? What does the environment mean to you? What does the environment mean to me? I mean, I grew up near a dirt hill in some backwoods. And when I was a kid, we used to ride bikes up and down a dirt road. And like, I've always had, you know, forests and, you know, things to go traipsing in, or or at least when I was little, I went through Rock Creek Park yesterday. So like, I don't know if this is the environment, but like nature at least is like a place to me. And it's a place that reminds me of childhood. It's a place that makes me feel safe. Like there's something about biological and natural systems, like trees and plants and and bugs, you know, also like engaged in psychedelics. And I don't know if you've ever looked at a leaf while you're like, it's not out of your mind. It's kind of amazing. So like the environment to me is, I guess, philosophically also, like, it's like an extension of me, right? Like I, like I am a, I'm not theistic, but if I was, I'd be a pantheist, if that makes sense. Like I, I believe in that sort of wooey idea that everything is connected, but less in the idea that like it's some kind of magic spiritual thing and more in just that like all the systems affect each other. Right. So the environment is, is, uh, I mean, you can define that at many scales. My current environment is this room, right. You know, there's, yeah, I mean, nature, but, I, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of curious about I you mean, mean, the thing you went to globally. first Yeah, was your, this dirt road being a kid, even the experience of the leaf. Yeah. What, what emotions, what, like what, what sensory, what smells and sounds and and what emotions come up? Like the smell of like dirt and green, Uh, you know, I don't know like if that rings bells for people, but like yesterday I went on a hike and it was like in Rock Creek park and it's the fall. Right. So there's dead like it's mostly sticks and there are a handful of trees with green and, and it was, so it was like crisp, cold, and you can smell that kind of like, I don't know what it is. Like when you, I guess it's, it's dead leaves, right? If you're walking through a forest in the fall, it's like dead leaves and dirt. And we saw a bunch of like dead poison ivy on trees and they look like little fur boas. Like, I, you know, I think, I think the environment is like a big living thing with like, like it looks like even the dead forest looks like the inside of my body. Right. So it's like, I think of the environment as like a body as a, like a giant lung. I don't know. <laughs> Not a human body, its own body. Like a, a, Yeah, its own body. But like you could use the human body as a metaphor to understand it. Like, I'm hearing connection, wonder, or mm-hmm. 
oneness or yeah those are good good analogies yeah i think also like nature can feel really separate from people because we live in our houses and i think one of the reasons people find it so healing to go on hikes and go out in nature is because like because you are a piece of it, like being in it sort of, you're like, Oh, right. Like it does something to your nervous system, you know? And even though maybe you have reasons to be afraid, like for instance, snakes, like you actually feel really grounded in the woods in a way that like when you live in a city and you spend your entire day in the apartment and forget Mm -hmm. to go outside, like you feel not grounded at all. So yeah, I do. I do think of nature as like context as ground as home, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit, uh, even though I don't spend a lot of time in it grounded home healing so based on these feelings that you've described and your this experience i invite you at your option to think of something you can do to act on those feelings now i'm not saying what's the most important thing you can do or what's going to save the world or what the what greenpeace says you're supposed to do those are fine but that's not this this is to manifest in your life for however long or short you want these things to, to bring this childhood feeling back into your life or not back in, and maybe it's still there all the time, but Mm -hmm. to bring the healing in, to bring something like that in with the constraints that it's something you're not already doing something you do yourself, not tell others to do it. And with a physical, not just reading or watching a movie, but some sort of physical implementation of it. Mm, it's tough. I feel like I've done a lot of new things lately. And I, so I keep wanting to reach for like these new things I'm already doing. Like I'm keeping plants in the house and I'm like, you know, I'm personally tending to nature and I'm doing, you know, yeah, this is a great little challenge. It's like, what will you do? And I, and I'm the kind of person that I really hate making commitments that I might not follow through on. I really like that really bothers me. Right. So I want it to be very practical. I want it to be like a smart goal. That's like, I can go outside and do this right now. Step three uh, is to make it a smart goal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ahead of you. Right. So like, I think the way I've described it, like, I really want to do something close to it. Like, I feel like I'm motivated to be like, I want to go plant some trees. Like I want to personally, you know, do some, some gardening or some tending, but I don't have good places or opportunities to, to do that. Right. And so it's like, but like the idea of doing something more like recycling based, even though we already do that, but like, you know, doing something that's like a little bit more abstracted from nature itself, like that feels unappealing to me. And yet those are probably the easier things to do. I think the one really bad thing that I currently do for the nature that I am connected to and the humans that I'm connected to is like, I abuse amazon.com with an abandon. Like Mm -hmm. I will order all of the Amazons whenever I need something, I'll just order it immediately. So they have a greener option where you can select your Amazon delivery day. So like one thing I could like commit to doing is like reducing the things I order. Like I could, uh, you know, or I could like say like a certain percentage or category of things that we order will come on the, the delivery day. So we're not causing so much transportation of things from what i heard the amazon thing sounds to me and you know yourself better than i do more of like an obligation not it doesn't sound as connected as the things you said before of planting something and we may end up doing we may end up with the amazon thing and maybe i misread you maybe it does connect with you that but i I, I'm, i'm tempted to persist a bit more about the planting things or something like that. You already, like, if you weren't, if you hadn't already done what you described with bring the plants indoors, then that would have fit the bill. 
but yeah. maybe there's something else there. And so the listeners can't see the smile that was just on your face. It's like, it, it, am I right that this resonates more? Like it connects more with what you're talking about. I think my whole like shtick, like my intrinsic motivations all lie in like the relating and care, right? So like the fact that I have plants in the house that I have to give water to, like that's really meaningful to me. Whereas like not ordering a package feels like nothing. Like it just feels like a weird, you're right. It feels like an obligation. It feels like something I have to sort of think about and do. So yeah, I mean, like I... I can tell you that I will do a thing, but I can't tell you what it is. Like I'd have to like, I'll have to like go online and be like, where can I plant trees? Um. (laughs) Well, if, I mean, if I suspect that planting trees is something that's not done as the winter in the wintertime, I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah. There might be something you could do. I mean, we could say, all right, well then you can find out when trees should be planted and we can talk our second time after that. Right. Because one of the things I'm going to do next is ask, can we talk about how it went after you've done it? Oh, you know, what is really interesting though, is like, you can plant trees, you can buy tree planting. Like I could give tree planting for Christmas. That's fascinating. I think you're looking on, on your screen because you're looking away from the- Yeah, the I quickly camera. Googled what I could do. That would be, oh no, now I've minimized our own chat. So I, let's keep pursuing this. What? Because it always takes a, a bit of back and forth no one has it like right on their tip of the tongue of what they're going to do, but always when they get it they they always say, Oh, I could, I've been thinking about doing that. Yeah. And they come up with something that they've been thinking about doing. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, right? Cause we're in Washington DC. It's like, I don't have a yard. Yeah. I mean, I could, there are like things that I could do, like take my bike to work on days when I want to take my car to work, but that again, starts to fall more in that like feeling of obligation place. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel as like, like I really, when I think of the environment, I think of like dirt. (laughs) Like I really want to like have my hands in the dirt. Like I, you know, I I would also like clean up something like that, that feels caring to me. Um, Like were there a similar opportunity where it's like clean this up so that the plants can be healthy. Um, Like there's something along, along there that works that comes to mind. I mean, probably like, I mean, I'll be off the entire week between the December, between December 22nd and January 1st, I have like a bunch of free time. So I'm sure I could figure out something to do to get my hands dirty and connect with the environment and do something nice for it. Great. Let's make that smart. Okay. Specific. All right. Well, to make it specific, I have to Google, right? I have to like, (laughs) all right, actually, you know, one way we can specify it is we can pick the day. So I can be like, I'm coming home on the 26th of December after Christmas and I'm here. So like, we wouldn't want to do it New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. So maybe like that Thursday during the day, because apparently I'm seeing West Side Story at night. All right. So on Thursday, December 30th, Mm -hmm. before 3 p.m., I will have donated a tree planting thing planted it i will have done something that will make sure a tree exists that didn't exist before is that specific enough will you will you i i I think your hands in the dirt has to be part of it i'm not sure okay huh interesting am i allowed to go like plant a tree in like a park like does that is that legal i don't know that's one of the things that's really fun about this exercise (laughs) that type of thinking is what happens (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't like, want to get too meta because you and I can get meta really quickly. And 
Because like, um, okay, this Saturday I took mushrooms and went hiking in Rock Creek Park. Like would I totally love to take some seeds out there and like plant some expertise? In rock? Yeah, I would. I would totally do that. But like, can I? <laughs> I'm sure I can. I mean, no one's, no one's watching. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's two questions there. Can I? Is it legal? <laughs> if you do, I mean, if you just, if, if, if I, I think I'm hearing you saying something like, I'm going to go out and plant something somewhere. Yeah, I think, I think I will. I think I can figure this out, especially because like, we'll be in various places. Like I can figure out a way to, I have to, I have to like buy a seed or figure out what to plant, but like, I, you know, it should be, it should be a good tree, like a really good tree, like a solid tree, like, like maybe like even like a Christmas tree, like something that's going to be there year over year that I can like check in on. I want to develop a relationship with a tree. (laughs) I planted, damn it. All right. So if I hear you, you're going to plant a tree. Now that could be, it might be that you go to a store and buy a sapling and dig a hole and put it in, or it could be sure. you get an acorn, put it in the ground and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. But somehow there'll be a seed in the ground that wouldn't have been in the ground because of your hands. Yeah. Maybe multiple. Cause that feels like it might be a numbers game, you know? <laughs> All right. And is this something, and, and it's not like too big, too small. It's like, it's achievable. We're, yeah, we're going to, we're going to call the goal, plant a tree. Uh-huh. That way we know it's achievable. Like I think planting a tree is achievable. Like we're not talking about like ensuring it's long-term survival, although I will do that too, or, or I will try to do that by selecting a hardy tree and checking in on it. But it's not like, like my intention is not, it, it wouldn't be a smart goal if I had to go check on it every day. And I did it somewhere far from my house, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, so then can we schedule a second conversation for after you've planted? Right. Well, this part of the smart goal is that I'm doing it on the 30th. So if we do it in 2022, then you can find out how many trees I managed to plant and whether or not it was legal to plant them in Rock Creek Park. It appears that it is actually. Hey, Josh, the cops have me. I can't, uh, can we record this from jail? They call me planting an acorn. strange to arrest someone for planting planting a tree in a forest. I think well, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious what happens because one of, when I do this, sometimes when I'm doing workshops, people, if there's an odd number of people in the room, people do this exercise back to me. Uh-huh. And one of the things that I did was to plant, I agreed to plant a tree and ended up planting it with my stepfather uh-huh. and it ended up being out at my mom's house. So that was their property. And mm-hmm. he knows more about planting trees than I do. So, you know, he gave me the tools and we had the tree and, and I did it and it was really great. I'm really glad I did it but I want to plant one near me in Manhattan and I found places like I'm learning the rules and, but I yeah. want to plant, I've found some places where I think I can get a tree to grow. So I want to hear, I want to learn from you. And I guess you can't plant one in the me. park, right, right by your house that we were talking about earlier. Not the one right across the street. I mean, I could, I could probably, could if I like was really quick and got a friend to like make noise in the other side of the park that I could like <laughs> dig a hole really quick. But, but I think the medians between the, the uptown and downtown sides of, of the West Side Highway, there's a lot of space there. I have yeah. planted flowers in the medians inside the city, but I propose, let's pick this up next time. Okay. Because the conversation will be different after it's happened. Sure. And I think there's a bunch of open threads, but we're going to have to table them until next time because uh, I want to go. I think we're over an hour. I think so too. So anything before we wrap up this episode? that you want to say to the listeners or that anything I didn't think to bring up or left hanging? Hmm. 
No, I think, you know, I think you'll be surprised at how coherent the whole conversation really is. Cause it's really, so the thing that is interesting about your work in sustainability is I think it's very clear that it's very personal to you and it's very emotionally led for you. And it, it is sort of the thing that's it, that like, it's the soil that you've rooted in and, and managed to become more authentic in and for and about. And that's really cool. My passion is, is relationships themselves. Right. And I think that there's, uh, I don't know. I think that there's a really nice symmetry in you sort of pulling this philosophy out of me that everything is related and that therefore the way I want to go interact with the environment is to help it grow things. Cause that's what I do with people. I help them grow. This will make more, more sense when you hear it back. I think. Okay. Well, this, it just, I really want to keep going. So it's painful for me to, to stop for this episode, but obviously we'll keep talking over the course of our lifetimes. So we'll talk again someday. Lauren Weber Carlisle, thank you very much. Thanks, Josh. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.